This is a special extended episode of The Causes of Things, and I'm your host, Michael O'Fallon. Now, a bit of full disclosure before we start this episode. I am half Cuban, with my abuela and abuelo coming from Cuba to the United States many years ago. I'm also married to a full-blooded, beautiful Chinese woman, One of the only things I might have in common with Mitch McConnell. And my life has always been a great scene of varied cultures, traditions, and customs. But there is a giant reflexive movement going on right now in one of the largest voting demographics in the United States. The Evangelical Church. This movement involves and affects nearly 30 million citizens in the U.S., This particular reflexive movement is chock full of the fertile fallacies normally reserved for the general voting public to move the millions of faithful to adopt and support progressive, liberal, and deconstructive political positions based upon the postmodern concepts of social justice, along with the open borders, anti-sovereignty concepts of the Open Society's foundations. Well, how could this happen? And how could this happen in all of places, the church? In this episode, I hope to explain at least one of the many reasons of why this paradigm shift is happening within the largest sectors of previously conservative Protestant evangelicalism. In the course of the discussion, I hope to be fair, friendly, but firm, and will encourage all of our listeners to follow the links provided on the webpage that accompanies this podcast at SovereignNations.com. I would highly suggest having the page at Sovereign Nations that hosts this particular podcast open, as this will allow you to follow the links and the documentation provided during this discussion. To fully understand all of the terminology and references I will be making to open societies, reflexivity, and fertile fallacies, please find a few moments to go back and listen to episodes 2, 3, and 4 of The Causes of Things. As I have said in past episodes, throughout the sociopolitical universe, there has been a phenomenon as of late that allows the architects of sociopolitical change to perform a manipulative influence to either achieve a desired result or create a pseudo-necessity for change in society. Plainly stated, when a change in opinion or sociological shift is desired, a big manipulative lie is told in order to disrupt something as large as a cultural norm or as small as a local election. In the last few years, under the guise of being able to bring certain concepts from the poison well of neo-Marxism and postmodernism, the church has been moved from the correspondence theory of truth to the manipulative function of equivocating narratives to achieve end goals that are completely separate from the actual desired results. Well, this past week, an open letter titled, quote, A Call to Pause, end quote, was distributed throughout social media by alleged Christian leaders who were using their platforms to oppose President Trump's nomination for the Supreme Court, Judge Kavanaugh. I would again ask that you review articles on the webpage for this information and to follow along. The open letter contained much of the same rhetoric that we have come to expect from the leftist progressive Christian leaders, going so far as to suggest that the nomination of a textualist or a conservative to the court who is against abortion would result in greater numbers of abortions. 
And, as can be expected with such documents, the normal cast of characters who were assembled was replete with folks such as the George Soros-funded Jim Wallace and other leaders of the Open Society Promoting Sojourners Ministry. Another well-known signature and statement was provided by Jamar Tisby of what used to be known as the Reformed African American Network, which is now known as The Witness, who is a frequent contributor at the Gospel Coalition and Desiring God. While there are numerous statements made within the document that deserve entire episodes dealing with the ugly and unbiblical outgrowths of the postmodern deconstructionism movement, I'd like to focus on the following two paragraphs. So, here goes. And I quote, Launched decades ago, the evangelical culture wars have effectively brought the nation to a turning point. The balance of the Supreme Court is poised to tip in favor of a conservative agenda for generations. Powered by a political strategy crafted in the 1980s by the Moral Majority and the Christian Coalition, conservative evangelicals have eyed the Supreme Court as a prime target of its war to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, on the brink of the political win culture warriors have dreamt about for more than three decades, evangelical men and women of color and their white evangelical allies are voicing dissent. Now listen closely. The only growing segment of the evangelical church, people of color warn, the conservative evangelical strategy to dominate the Supreme Court will result in increased abortion rates, particularly in poor communities and communities of color. End quote. Now, while much can be said about this absolutely ridiculous statement, including the fact that the aforementioned Christian coalition, which has taken a hard turn to the left in promoting net neutrality and global warming schemes, I'd like instead to focus on a statement that was made that you might have missed. Quote, the only growing segment of the evangelical church, people of color. End quote. Once again, I repeat, the only growing segment of the evangelical church, people of color. Now, when we hear a phrase such as the only growing segment of the evangelical church, people of color, we have to realize that this particular mentality, collective and postmodern and anti-individualistic, in and of itself should be troubling. But the statement reveals what is the current strategy of the evangelical church, a seeker-sensitive movement as well as a church growth model by way of participating with and encouraging the illegal mass immigration of people over the past 10 or more years. Now, to give some historical perspective, it was way back in 2010 at the Southern Baptist Convention, the Rosen Center Hotel, where I was part of and picked up the check for, a dinner of prominent Southern Baptist men that I had first heard of a strategy being hatched that would cooperate with the new open border policies of the Barack Obama administration. It went more or less like this. White churches just aren't keeping the next generation in their pews. The trend is youth group, college and career, and then 70% of these white evangelicals never return to the church again. Not to mention the birth rate has slowed significantly, suburbs are dying due to the gentrification movement, and our model for growing churches is going to die. On the other hand, we do see millennials, Asians, and African Americans attending urban churches that are concerned about themes such as social justice and ending oppression that, from what we see, 
are on the rise. You see, the culture is changing, and we, the church, must be relevant in the coming age if we hope to exist. More importantly, illegal migration is happening in unprecedented numbers, and it's only going to increase. There is nothing we can do about it, so we might as well participate in helping the NGOs and organizations moving these people into the United States to get many of these new migrants into our churches and into our communities. I mean, look, the Catholic Charities have been doing this for several years, and it is helping to make up for the tremendous losses of members after the Catholic pedophilia scandals. So, if we can help to participate in the placing of migrant families as they seek to join our communities, and if we can adopt a more social justice framework of the outworking of our ecclesiology, we can grow our churches in a completely new multicultural paradigm. Now, while not everyone at the table seemed to understand where the presenter was going with the ideas that he was presenting, everyone's curiosity was piqued, and were certainly intrigued. Now, about that same time, the event organization I was running was contracted to work both with global socio-political organizations and with supposedly conservative political organizations, or more properly stated, neoconservative organizations. In many of the meetings that we were a party to, the concepts of rural and suburb elimination, centralized population areas that use an economy of space, the supposed need to eliminate tribal nationalities and faith that possess uncontestable truth claims, and the need to move away from the correspondence theory of truth towards reflexive concepts that lead to a manipulative function of desired outcomes was voiced. This bothered me. These concepts truly troubled my mind and soul. And worst of all, many of the men making these statements were hoping to use me as a bridge to meet my influential Christian clients. But let's fast forward a few years. Now, to continue to follow what I'm saying and to have the related documents to the history of this movement, please review the article on the webpage that is housing this podcast for this information and click on the PDF that is titled, quote, Richard Land, NIF 2012 Impact Report. So, two years later, in 2012, the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, the ERLC for short, Richard Land, who had himself stated at a November 19, 2012 meeting of the American Enterprise Institute event on immigration reform, stated that he was, quote, ashamed, end quote, of the Republican Party in the 2012 presidential election. Working in cooperation with the George Soros-funded National Immigration Forum, now don't forget the National Immigration Forum, We will be referring back to this organization throughout the podcast. And in a new joint operational program called Bibles, Badges, and Businesses that would seek to transform our nation. Now, please take a look at the article again. And if you take a look on the website, you'll see the $2.5 million grant from George Soros' Open Societies Foundations linked. 
Also participating directly in sponsoring the Bible's Badges and Businesses Initiative was the George Soros Mothership, the Open Societies Foundation, along with the Soros-funded Tides Foundation, which all took part in the Forging a New Consensus on Immigrants and America Forum. Folks, this is not conjecture. This is not spurious accusation. This is fact, and it's documented. And so I'm going to quote from the supporting document itself, which again, you can find on the website that supports this podcast. Key initiatives from Bibles, Badges, and Businesses, Forging a New Consensus on Immigrants and America. Over the course of 2012, the forum led the effort to engage conservative and moderate evangelical Christian faith-based organizations, law enforcement, and business leaders across the country to forge a new consensus on immigrants and America. Through the initiatives outlined below, the forum engaged over 1,000 representatives from the Bibles, Badges, and Businesses community, generated more than 700 local and national press accounts of conservative leaders advocating for a 21st century immigration system, and engaged Republican and Democratic lawmakers in constructive dialogues. As a result, America's immigration debate is fundamentally different. More and more evangelical Christians across America are welcoming immigrants into their congregations and advocating for just immigration reform. State attorneys generals, police chiefs, and sheriffs are speaking publicly to the need for an immigration system that prioritizes public safety and... Business leaders are joining forces with other constituency groups in valuing their immigrant workforce as members of their community and future Americans. Our strategy brought together influencers across the political spectrum to change the polarized immigration debate and increase support for rational and humane immigration policy reform. Folks, are you listening to what I'm saying? This is back from 2012. This is the rhetoric that we hear constantly today. Bibles, badges, and business. If you hold a Bible, wear a badge, or own a business, you want a common-sense solution to the immigration system. My own private side note here is, what common-sense solution would we have outside of protecting our own borders and ensuring that we enforce our current laws and get the out-of-control immigration under control. I mean, so if you're going back and you're saying that we have to have a common-sense solution to the immigration system, this is even before it got wildly out of control after the 2012 elections. But I digress. It continues. Working with partners across America, the forum launched Bibles, Badges, and Businesses for Immigration Reform, a national network of conservative, moderate faith, law enforcement, and business leaders working together to educate members of Congress on immigration. Formed through the forum's work with the evangelical community, the development of state compacts and the convening of regional summits in the Mountain West, Midwest, and Southeast, the network built conservative support for reform where support did not exist. In early December 2012, the work culminated with over 250 faith, law enforcement, and business leaders meeting in Washington, D.C. for a national strategy session and advocacy day 
The event generated more than 60 news stories across the country, and participants organized 78 Hill meetings, 57 with Republicans. Bibles, badges, and business for immigration reformed are the pastor, police chief, and business owner prepared to engage Americans across the country to activate and lead this new consensus on immigrants and America, end quote. Now, let's remember something. What are the goals of Open Society's foundations? Number one, open borders, no borders to be more specific. Number two, the end of national sovereignty and instead nation states. Number three, the development of unelected supranationalism. So if you are participating with those that have nearly unlimited resources to ensure the success of this plan, would you not have a tremendous amount at stake to see this plan through? So here we have the collusion of those that support mass unvetted, unmitigated, unchecked migration of people into the United States, along with the civil and legislative authorities that will refuse to enforce the current immigration laws, joining with the Bibles or the evangelical church to help to organize and centralize these efforts and embark on a campaign to change the views of Christians under their care as to how they view illegal immigration. New slogans and rhetoric such as, quote, caring for the immigrant is a gospel issue, end quote, or, quote, only white supremacists would resist the immigrants, end quote, along with the resistance of any and all attempts to control the flood of illegal immigration at our borders and airports as hateful and xenophobic. But that is just the beginning of the story. In 2012, Dr. Russell Moore took the reins of the ERLC from Richard Land. Within a very short time, Dr. Russell Moore was meeting with President Obama, Jim Wallace of Sojourners, and others as he began to implement a decidedly more progressive agenda to the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, I would refer you back to the website that houses this particular podcast for this information and the links. In 2013, the Evangelical Immigration Table, EIT for short, a project of the Soros-supported National Immigration Forum, was launched as a natural outgrowth of the Bibles, Badges, and Businesses initiative that was started the previous year. Within months, prominent and current former presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, presidents of major seminaries, members of the Gospel Coalition, and other prominent denominations began to sign on to the Evangelical Immigration Table. The EIT released a statement that was nearly identical to the purposes of Bibles, Badges, and Businesses program of the National Immigration Forum the year before, which read, and I quote, Through Bible reading, prayer, and public education campaigns, we have mobilized a broad base of evangelical support for immigration reform. But while Congress debates reform proposals, immigrant families and workers continue to suffer under our broken system. Now is the time to finish the job. Please prioritize work to finalize immigration reform legislation this year. End quote. 
Please note the fertile fallacy of stating that people are suffering because of our, quote, broken system. The constant referral to the broken immigration system is consistent in the EIT, but does not refer back to the fact that the laws and systems are not broken. It's just that the laws are not being followed and enforced, which is the second part of the Bible's Badges and Businesses program. The badges or actual enforcement by those that are elected and trusted to enforce, which they are not doing. So now the evangelical movement that has purposed to partner with the National Immigration Forum, Open Societies Foundations and others, has targeted as their church growth plan the idea of growth through the ignoring of current immigration law, the assistance with the federal and local authorities that will not enforce the law, and the placing and seeking of community of those immigrants coming into the United States in their houses of worship and communities. Now, at the same time that this was happening, purposed reflexive movements meant to galvanize collective groups of minorities are breaking out all over the United States. The Trayvon Martin shooting in Florida, the Michael Brown incident in Missouri, and many others are used as vehicles to substantiate claims of white privilege, police brutality, and general class warfare. Evangelical groups decide to partner with, capitulate to, and attempt to catch the wave of the top-down, bottom-up movements in order to gain in the middle. That is, to encourage those in who identify themselves in groups of oppression to begin pursuing a new life within the woke church. To further this strategy, professors who adhere to postmodern concepts such as critical race theory, intersectionality, and the concepts behind deconstructionism are hired at previously conservative seminaries and universities. Christian organizations and denominations who previously opposed the radical leftist and liberal ideas of Jim Wallace and sojourners edge ever closer to adopting the anti-nationalistic, progressive stances that they in years past had completely opposed. The beginning of the transformation of the American evangelical church had begun. Now, back to the question of immigration. The Evangelical Immigration Table, the George Soros Finance Group of far-left activists and evangelical leaders, released a six-point appeal calling on Congress to bring even more Syrian and other refugees to the United States. Again, you can look at the link on the website that houses this particular podcast for the article. The letter was introduced to journalists at a conference call organized by Jenny Yang, Vice President of Advocacy and Policy for World Relief Corporation, one of the five Christian nonprofit voluntary agencies, or for short, VOLAGs, that were receiving massive payments from the federal government to resettle refugees. For secular nonprofit VOLAGs, also receive large payment as part of the $1 billion annual refugee resettlement budget. That's right. You heard it. Resettling refugees was now big business for evangelicals willing to capitulate to the Obama administration's and Open Society's Foundation's efforts to transform the voting demographics of the United States. Transformative money. 
the kind of revenue that guarantees that you as a Christian leader would no longer have to fly out to Omaha and sit and listen to that kindly 80-year-old millionaire talk on and on about her grandchildren in order to receive her large donation check to your organization. This was no longer necessary. The kind of money that was being offered here is the kind of money that you would secure your tenure to your trustees. But then something happened. The 2016 presidential elections were fast approaching. Only two years away. Everyone had predicted for several years that this would be a Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush showdown, which is safe enough for those embracing the new illegal immigrant and Christian social justice church growth plans. Both Bush and Clinton would continue the open borders, open society plans. Both would continue to outsource America, destroy American industry, and continue with the oligarchical growth as had been seen with the last four administrations. But there was a real potential problem for those dedicated to this misguided church growth plan. He came from outside the academy. He wasn't part of the system. His name was Donald Trump. He was as violently opposed by the progressive open-bordered Republicans as he was by the progressive open society Democrats. It was time for battle stations for the entrenched D.C. Uniparty. So the evangelicals who had capitulated to giant coalitions and had floated poetic rhetoric to millennial believers for the last few years had to rearm, refocus, and re-aim their firepower. Dr. Russell Moore seemed to be engineering and pulling the levers of political power in 2015 when he hosted a civil forum as part of a Southern Baptist Convention event in Nashville. Only three of the 2016 presidential primary candidates were invited to speak at the convention, all of whom were progressives. First, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Second, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio. And third, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. No Ted Cruz, no Rand Paul, and not surprisingly, no Donald J. Trump. The coalition of those benefiting from the revenue and plans originally sourced in the National Immigration Forum's Bibles, Badges, and Businesses campaign now went to work opposing everything and anything Mr. Trump did, said, or tweeted. Apocalyptic rhetoric was used. Every coalition member was focused on declaring the disaster that would befall Christianity as we know it if Donald Trump was to be elected. Some supposedly reformed Christians went so far as to state that any evangelical support for Donald Trump would hurt the moral credibility of the church. This statement was never made in eight years of Barack Obama. And the funny thing is, no one was saying this about Hillary Clinton. As a matter of fact... Some Reformed evangelical leaders were even encouraging their followers to vote for Clinton, who was an avowed proponent of infanticide. Well, then the unthinkable happened. Donald Trump won the election. Well, within the Christian community, apologies from those who had raged upon Donald Trump 
and those that supported him were offered to the Christian church, and they were accepted. But that truce was short-lived. Only a few months after the weak and insincere apologies would come the creation of what would be the greatest use of reflexivity ever unleashed on the Christian church. Not soon after, resolutions were brought before the Southern Baptist Convention that were squarely blaming Donald Trump for the violence, ugliness, and division that originated from the 2016 presidential election. Not one word was uttered to blame Antifa, Black Lives Matter, or the giant rent-a-mob astroturf protests paid by the Open Society Foundation related organizations against Donald Trump. The focus of Bibles, badges, and businesses Christians now turned to the congressional seats, left open from executive branch appointments. You see, if the Senate and House seats vacated by appointments could be flipped to progressive Democrats, or at least to progressive Republicans, then the opportunity to either blunt the president's efforts to enforce the current immigration laws on the books, or the possibility to even maybe impeach the president might actually happen. So target number one, Judge Roy Moore. Again, please review some of the examples provided on the accompanying webpage. Roy Moore, who was supported by many of my friends on the campaign trail, such as Steve Bannon, Ambassador Alan Keyes, and even Nigel Farage stumping for him, was targeted as a candidate that must be eliminated. Unproven allegations were floated against Judge Moore, and sadly, without any evidence to support their claims, members of the Gospel Coalition and the Southern Baptist Convention began a massive coordinated Twitter campaign, appeared on CNN, and by the way, never on Fox, and wrote articles that appeared on several mainstream news sites in their opposition to Moore and the horrible allegations against him. Well, they succeeded. And abortion-supporting Democrat Doug Jones won a narrow victory over Judge Roy Moore. If there was ever a doubt that the new movement in coalitions across broader evangelicalism was a political movement disguised as a theological movement, the coordinated campaign against Judge Moore proved the case. The new postmodern-leaning Progressive Values Coalition had a victory under its wings, and they were just getting started. Now, massive events were held in 2018 that pushed the following propaganda, all from the poison well of postmodernism and neo-Marxism. First, the fertile fallacy of floating the progressive postmodern concept of white supremacy, male-dominated hierarchies that must be destroyed. Secondly, the idea that our entire society is built upon the false notion of white privilege and selling ethnic minority groups on buying into the idea that they are oppressed. Next, the concept that to be pro-life was a wider concern than just being opposed to abortion. The supplanting of a competency-based, biblically-based hierarchy with an equity-based hierarchy, supporting equal outcomes instead of equal opportunities. Supplanting of biblical gospel evangelism with the rhetoric of every progressive social justice concept as being a, quote, gospel issue. Supporting classes to forward the false, unproven concepts of 
unconscious bias training in churches across the United States. Now, while all of this was going on, the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission just had to be the featured guest on, you guessed it, the podcast of the Soros-funded National Immigration Forum, which can be found on your webpage. The very organization, the National Immigration Forum, who first floated the Bibles, Badges, and Businesses campaign that led to the Evangelical Immigration Table and this entire mess. Now, of course, the National Immigration Forum doesn't have any care about the success of the gospel in the United States. They also don't care about Donald Trump's morality. They do care about mass migration and the fundamental change to the United States as we know it as they seek to push out the concepts of national sovereignty and place into its vacuum the fascist state of supranationalism. At the same time that the president of the ERLC was appearing with the National Immigration Forum, other Christian leaders were appearing at major open-letter opposition to Donald Trump events. Evangelicals Ed Stetzer, Daryl Bach, along with the liberal world relief's Janie Yang, gathered with Tim Keller as he expressed, quote, Many of them feel under attack from those on the right if they support a more open immigration policy or foreign policy, end quote. Of course, all of this was being covered by the progressive Washington Post and CNN. So if you ever wondered about the why about what has been going on, what you have seen is the largest manipulated church growth and societal change model happening within the United States with Bibles, badges, and businesses. And evangelicals and Catholics are smack dab right in the middle of all of the manipulation. Now, because you may support, let's say, national borders or you support the concept of wanting to know who is coming in and out of your country, or you support the concept of law and sovereignty, and you absolutely don't believe that the United States should be the global welfare provider for the world. Don't ever believe that this somehow makes you some sort of unredeemable xenophobe. What it makes you is conscientious and respectful of our laws and of the intended governance of the United States. And the fact that it should be limited to some degree is also reasonable. Otherwise, why not just open the borders and let everybody come in? Now, we do believe that all people, men, women, boys, and girls, are made in the Imago Dei, or the image of God. And as the bearers of God's image, we need to not only think of what most benefits us, but what benefits the whole of the nation itself. But what could lead to this nation's downfall? Now, would it possibly be men and women coming to our nation, not for equal opportunity, but to take advantage of our social welfare and education systems? And if given the chance, would vote to retain all the riches now due to them? See, it should not be assumed that citizens of other societies that have not evolved functional individual rights, and there are a lot of countries in the world that are not governed well, even governed well since their inceptions, 
And to me, that strongly indicates that there's something wrong with the values that are held collectively by the people who've established those policies, which have left them and their countries with destitution. And that is a true issue. There would be an absolute need to educate anyone coming into our nation in regards to our values, our founding principles, and how self-governance and capitalism works. You shouldn't be so naive and assume that merely because you moved a group of non-U.S. citizens who are completely unfamiliar with the concepts behind our nation to our new country, that they're going to let their innate constitutional republic longings flourish. That's absolutely ridiculous. And this is why our system of a vetted process for immigration and citizenship actually worked before the open society deconstructionists started the chaos that now exists. So the reason you shouldn't even consider that is because a complex system, which is dependent upon the citizenry having a basic appreciation and understanding of our nation's constitution and general civics, cannot tolerate extensive transformation over too short of a period of time without literally falling to pieces and imploding. So, if you stand up and say, look, you know, let's be a little cautious. Let's make sure that we don't transform our society so rapidly that we lose everything that we have. Well, that doesn't mean that you're a morally reprehensible person. It just means that you are conservative. And that's reasonable. It's a good position to hold. And they know that. And that is why they have been purposely unleashing chaos into our land and are demanding that we bow to their manipulation, all for the sake of an open society dream that would usurp our national sovereignty and reshape the world as we know it. They have contributed to and helped the cause of the problem. And those that have helped to cause the problem should not be the ones that we should be depending upon to fix it. Why? Because if you purpose the chaos, if you join with those that seek to do our nation and our constitution harm, and all the while you have hid behind the mask of virtue, then we know without a shadow of a doubt that we can't trust you. We must enforce the laws that we have on the books. We must secure our borders. We must tighten the refugee legislation that was made purposely porous by progressives in Congress. And we should deny any special benefits to those coming into this nation illegally. This approach is best for American citizens and is fair to those who have taken the time and effort to go through the legal immigration process. As Christians in America, we owe it to the past generations that died for our liberty. To future generations that will have to live with either the triumphs or compromises that we will leave them in future years. But most of all, we must be right and truthful before God Almighty to do what is right and to pursue truth in the coming years. This is Michael O'Fallon, and this has been The Causes of Things.